Happy Friday, everyone. This is Football Friday. I am your host, as always, Jonah Malkin. Thank you so much for joining me every single Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. and 9 to 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you so much for joining me. Again, make sure that you're getting this podcast to your mobile device and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe by signing up for Landry Football's conference call on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public. You can also watch this podcast, again, as I said, each and every Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. and 9 to 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time at the Chris Landry Twitch channel by clicking on www.twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football. So excited to have you with me coming up uh, around the corner. I've got my Pac-12 and high school football recruiting expert analyst Jonathan Rifkin joining the show in about 10 or 15 minutes, so make sure to, to stick tuned for that. So for first thoughts of Football Friday today, there's a lot of different directions that I can go into, but I actually want to look at IMG Academy and the Ascenders. They finally actually revealed their schedule for the 2020 season 2019 yeah 2020 2021 season so again a very fluid situation a couple of schools in a couple of states have already begun playing high school football i will provide you those scoring updates later in the show but i want to introduce everyone to img academy and the ascenders because their schedule was just revealed a couple hours ago on max preps this is exciting stuff again the number one high school football team entering the preseason. This is the first time that IMG Academy has ever entered the season as the number one team in the nation. It's it's pretty remarkable that this is the year, and it makes sense because first-year head coach Bobby Acosta, he, he couldn't have inherited a better team when you look from top to bottom, and I'll break down this team, but want to look at this schedule. So coming up for IMG Academy and the Ascenders on, when we look at their schedule, let's see, September 18th, they play number 28, Edgewater. Now, granted, if you're checking the rankings on Max Preps, they've recently updated it, but they factored in all the teams from states that are not playing. So their updated top 10 only features teams in states that are currently planning on playing in the fall. So that's a little caveat. But nonetheless, Edgewater, ranked number 28th on September 18th. Then the big one, Duncanville at Globe Life Park, number eight in the nation. Uh, That game will take place on October 9th in Arlington, Texas. And then following that, two weeks later, they get a one-week break. And then two weeks later, they face number 14, Northwestern, on October 23rd as their next game. That's a tough two-game stretch that I'm going to dissect for you just right now, but I'm so excited. When I saw Duncanville and IMG Academy scheduling to play one another, this is the ultimate chess move matchup right here. This is the matchup that you're saying to yourself, okay, we've got in one ring, in one corner, you've got more talent in IMG Academy. There's no question from top to bottom. You look at this team, JJ McCarthy, I think I've talked about him perhaps every single show that I've had. This is a transformational kind of quarterback prospect, a five-star pro-style quarterback committed to Michigan for John Harbaugh. He transferred from Nazareth Academy. Over his last two seasons, 
He's thrown for over 6,300 yards and over 70 touchdowns. Okay, this guy's got a cannon. He's now pairing up with another transfer in Ja'Cory Brooks, who's committed to Alabama. He's a top three wide receiver in the class of 2021. So those two guys are going to be together, and they're going to be playing behind one of the best, if not the best, offensive line in the entire nation. J.C. Latham, also a commit to Alabama. He's going to spearhead that front line. And then in the class of 2022, the number one offensive tackle, Tyler Brooks, is also going to be there in the front line. So that perhaps makes the most formidable offense and balanced offense from top to bottom, which is impressive. And then you look on the defensive side, they've got the number one transfer at safety in Kamari Wilson. He's the number one safety for the class of 2022. This is an extremely dangerous team. There really aren't any holes in this team, not to mention Katron Allen, a fantastic running back in the class of 2022. There are no holes from this team. And there are a bunch of other guys that I could mention, Xavier Sori. There's so many other guys that just make this team so formidable. But the reason why this matchup is interesting to me, again, is because of their opponent. The team that they're facing is Duncanville. Duncanville has perhaps one of the best high school football coaches in Reginald Samples in the entire nation. In the entire high school football circuit, coaches know who Reginald Samples is. This guy entering his sixth season, he's improved every single year with Duncanville in his five seasons. Started off taking over the team. In his first year, they went three and seven. Second season, 11 and three. Third season, 11 and one. Fourth season, 14 and one. And last season, 15 and one. This is a stacked team. And again, it's not that they necessarily have so much more talent because they don't, even though they're collecting a big pickup or, or rather I should say not, not collecting a big pickup, but returning to the field is Kendrick Blackshear four-star inside linebacker missed the entire season last year with a torn ACL. He's healthy and he's back on this team, but it always goes back to, what do you value more? What's more important at the high school level? Is it talent or is it coaching? And different people are going to argue different things depending on the level that you're playing at. But for me, I still think IMG Academy has the edge here and they should win this game, but I'm nonetheless uh, extremely intrigued. And again, Reginald... to see that matchup taking place. I cannot wait. And then finally, another big matchup against Northwestern. A, a younger team in Northwestern, but still they've won three consecutive state titles in Florida over the last three seasons, 13-2 and two last year. And their number one recruit, Terrence Lewis, is the best, the best outside linebacker committed to Tennessee. He makes up a formidable defense with Cameron Kitchens as a defensive back. And again, the thing about Northwestern is they're, they're young because they're led by a young quarterback entering his sophomore season in Taron Dickens. He's a preseason max preps, all American. So again, I think IMG Academy will win both of those games and they should win throughout their entire schedule. I don't see them losing a game, but nonetheless, 
it's it's just really interesting to see how a couple states are proceeding and moving forward to play out this season. And, and these matchups, again, right from the jump, they're not messing around these schools. This is going to be excited, uh, exciting. I, I can't wait for those matchups to, to take place. And the other thing that I cannot wait for is my guest that is joining me. In just a moment, I'm going to bring him on. And you're going to be familiar with this guest, whether you're viewing this or or you're not, or you're listening to this on the podcast. So it's my pleasure to now bring on to the show my, my friend, my colleague, Pac-12 and uh, high school football recruiting expert, Jonathan Rifkin. He's the host of Just Recruiting and Pack Rap. You see him probably too many times a week. How, how many times do they see you, Johnny? Four <laughs> days enough. a week? Not enough. Uh, four times, eight playbacks and then i'm actually going to be on your show and then here in about uh 50 minutes i'm going to be uh jumping on to ays tonight and i will be a co-host with blake Rafino for the entire hour and a half so actually this week it's going to be nine times where you can see me my gosh you you just do not stop you do not stop good for no, you we, we have fun jonah <laughs> we, we do we do have we, we do have fun. Our, our banter is is really what makes the show. Normally, when, when we go on air, it's less about the content, even though the content is important and it's there, but it's more the banter that, that I do, like. Do you want to argue about if Jamal Murray is better than Lonzo Ball again? Is that what you're saying? I remember, <sighs> Man. I remember how adamant you were that you would take Lonzo Ball over Jamal Murray, and I've never yes. screamed. I've never screamed at anybody yes. on a podcast or radio before. So I actually screamed listen, at you, I'm not know. going to divert on a tangent, but I just will say to to put a ribbon to that conversation. He's going for that him. for that season alone. For that season alone there was a legitimate argument to be made. Right now, absolutely not. Murray, there's no question, is a better player. Murray's a really clutch player. There, there's no question about that. But I think the more important thing for, for the, the viewers, now the, the listeners won't be able to appreciate this. You just moved down to San Diego. I did. Last week. I have to say, Johnny, you, you are looking quite tanner. Uh, in, now, maybe it's just the favorable light, but you're looking good, my friend. Hey, how do you know I'm not wearing bronzer right now? No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. No, I, I'm not I, sure. <laughs> I appreciate the assumption. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, you you know my roommate, Eric. We've been getting out as much as possible while we're here. We don't want to waste our time. Uh, it, it's Honestly, it's been a little gloomy the last few days, but I actually just had a meeting out on the coast uh, in La Jolla, and uh, it was nice and sunny. So I, you're actually just seeing the fresh tan on my face from that late afternoon sun here in San Diego. So I want to ask you, this was something that I talked about last week, and I, I firmly believe this. I think, and again, th this is a high school football show, but a lot of these high school football players that play for these schools are directly impacting the colleges that they're going to go to. And for me, I said this last week, I think that for the University of Washington, this class, this recruiting class right here is the biggest recruiting class they've ever had in their program's history. I think that right now they've got three players in the state of Washington that according to 247 Sports are all top 10 players. One of them's committed right now in five-star pro-style quarterback Sam Heward, who played at Kennedy Catholic or plays at Kennedy Catholic High School. And he's already committed there, which is great for Jimmy Lake now that he's trying to take over for Chris Peterson. So, so it's nice to have that, that stone in place, that cornerstone player. Here's the other two guys, though, and, and this is why I say this is the biggest recruiting class and program-changing recruiting class to me is because you've got 
again, according to 247 Sports, the number two overall player in JT Tumaloa'u. I apologize if I butchered the pronunciation of his last name. I apologize to his family on the show last week. But he's a fa- he, he's the number one defensive tackle, a fantastic player. So he's going to anchor your defense. And then you've got Amika Egbuka, who's a top wide receiver, another five-star wide receiver, all in your backyard. To me, I think this is perhaps the biggest opportunity to land two coups in the state of Washington, who these guys, Johnny, mind you, that prior to the pandemic hitting, they were 80% leaning towards Ohio State. Now, given everything that's transpiring, I'm of the mindset that they might reconsider. And if they're going to reconsider, I think Washington is the place to go. And I think that Jimmy Lake has a huge opportunity in front of him to secure the best recruits ever. What say you on Washington and this recruiting class for them? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, I think that was a really well set up thought, Jonah. Uh, By the way, Sam Gord is the third highest ever recruited player for the state of Washington behind Shaq Thompson. We all know Shaq Thompson on the Carolina Panthers and Reggie Williams on the Jaguars, who uh, I think he's on the practice squad. So I don't think he ever elevated past that, but he was the second highest recruit ever. So Sam Heward is the third highest ever for the state of, or for University of Washington from the state of Washington. Now, you know, it's interesting, Joan, you talk about the coronavirus impact on these recruits. And that's something we talk a lot about on my show, right? Yeah, we talk about recruiting. But we also talk about the pressing questions that surround college football because it's a conversation, right? This this is not linear. High school football, college football, and, and how the infrastructure is put in place is not linear. It's very sporadic. It's all over. I call it like chocolate-covered ants, right? You never know where, where they're going to go or how they're going to taste, and that's sort of what this is. Um, so I here here's my thing on Ohio State. The way that the Big Ten has handled all of this is a big turnoff for recruits, no matter what, right? I know that they met today. I know that there are conversations about finding some way to get things happening. It doesn't matter. I think the damage is done until they get it, <laughs> whether it's a new commission. And now talking about the Pac-12, the problem in the Pac-12 is actually different, right? It's competitiveness. Um, and Washington under Jimmy Lake is going to be a, a powerhouse. Jimmy Lake is a player's coach. He's a lot like Herm Edwards. Why is Arizona State out recruiting schools like Texas? Why are they out recruiting schools like USC and even like Penn State? Because Arizona State has a player's coach that has cultivated a, a, a relationship with his athletes that now high school players want with their coaches. And that's what Jimmy Lake, that's what Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, that's what they're both going to do. And you're going to see both those programs on the rise, especially in recruiting. So this is a big deal for Jimmy Lake. Um, and yeah, I think the coronavirus pandemic plays in favor of Washington because now players are going to be closer to home. They want to be near family. Coronavirus folks is going to be part of our lives for the foreseeable future until everybody can get vaccinated. There's no assurances. We're going to have to take those precautions, but there will be a semblance of normalcy as we figure out what works and what doesn't work, which this year we will. Um, And that will give some security to these upcoming uh, collegiate athletes. But I think they need the safety net of being close to the home, or at least they want it. And that's why I still think Corey Foreman's going to USC. And that's why I think that we are going to see uh, Washington perhaps ice one, if not two of these guys away from Ohio State. Okay, so so a lot to unpack there. And again, so happy to have you on because these are all the questions that I'm thinking about, but it's nice sure. to be able to throw that on to someone else. And you, you made a lot of interesting points. One of the things that you said that I thought was really interesting is about how you think that it's going to have a bigger impact perhaps on the big 10 on the recruits specifically 
thinking about the Big Ten, whether they want to play for a school in that conference next season. So I, I feel the same way as well, but I want to focus on the Pac-12 sure. because you said the issue was more about competitiveness. And to me, I, I think that regardless of the – I think that whether you're in the Pac-12 or you're in the Big Ten, that the pandemic and this dead recruiting period was going to affect recruits to either one of those schools, especially given that they're planning on playing in the spring. In your mind, what kind of impact do you think specifically on the Pac-12 – this decision to postpone football to the spring will have on recruits interested in playing for a Pac-12 school? Well, we saw the impact, right? We saw, first of all, within the Pac-12, the number one uh, wide receiver at Washington State is transferred. He's he's or he's done. Um, he's looking at Penn State, or not Penn State. Wow, he's looking at Oklahoma State right now uh, as his top option. Actually, no, he did commit. He, he is going to Oklahoma State. So there's an impact. Um, both you have Brendan Schooler and Aaron Schooler, who are brothers at Arizona. Brendan Schooler actually transferred from Oregon. Both of them have announced. And by the way, the younger Schooler led the Pac-12 in tackles. He was the Pac-12 freshman defensive player of the year. Uh, he was actually third in tackles, first in freshman. Uh, he was an asset for this conference. He's transferring in the best interest of playing or trying to play in the fall. Who knows if that's going to happen as more and more schools seemingly push back their start dates. We saw yesterday Eastern Carolina and University of Louisiana Monroe do that. Um, but but what this shows is there's going to be a trickle-down effect. And we talk a lot about Jake Garcia as the prime example, right? Narbonne bred, Lahaber transferred, coronavirus happened, goes to Voldosta High School in Georgia. Now he's supposed to enroll at USC in fall. So what could happen in a situation for recruit Jonah, who is committed to a school in the Pac-12, they have the opportunity to play spring season. And that's attractive. Right. You I know that people are talking about it's dangerous. These guys are getting hit on a football field every week. It's dangerous no matter what. Right. That argument doesn't fly here anymore because you no matter what you're on a football field, you're in a compromising situation. That's your choice. Whether or not you support it, that's a whole separate conversation. There are probably people that don't support it, by the way. Um, now, with that being said. If you get some reps in spring and then things normalize and however, like maybe we play a six game conference schedule in spring because they want to play in fall and having a full 11 game schedule is crazy. And then all of a sudden you're back four months later playing a a 12 game schedule. I don't think it's realistic. I think they're going to cut it down, but it's still attractive for recruits, right? You're going to get a full year of eligibility after that. So you're basically getting four and a half years of eligibility with the ability to play like four and a half, maybe five seasons. So that becomes an attractive deal for recruits like, uh, a Jake Garcia, right? Everybody said that, oh, he's probably going to decommit and transfer. What it actually is, is if they grant him the ability to play in spring, that's even more attractive because he's already going to be on the collegiate national stage way quicker at Southern California. Now for the spring enrollees, Jonah, this is where it becomes a little bit sticky, right? Because if I'm a, if I'm moving to campus in spring, every player is getting a year of eligibility back and they're solidifying their positions. My security, my position security in the upcoming season is now compromised. I'm now buried in the depth chart or I have to find a way to prove myself even further against guys who are now getting reps when I just stepped on campus. Now, spring, sometimes spring football serves a purpose for some of these guys, but typically it's over the summer when the quarterback battles or the position battles are laid out, but you become now inherently at a disadvantage if you're going up against a freshly played um, skill position talent at a school in the spring. Also, again, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, the hierarchy, Larry Scott in the Pac-12, and uh, what's his name? Kevin Warren. Warren. Evan Warren in the Big Ten. 
have shown that they are, their interests lie not with the health and safety of their players, but with the financial interest, which is why you saw the Pac-12 lay off 88 staffers, even though they took out a billion-dollar loan just a month ago, right? And they have a $5.8 million rent in San Francisco, and yet they're laying off they're laying off Pac-12 network staffers, right? So the infrastructure is flawed at the top in both these conferences. It is a turnoff for recruits, um, but I think that the schools playing in spring in the Pac-12 for January and rollies are actually at an advantage, but for spring commits, they're at a disadvantage because those commits are going to want to play with more stability at schools in the upcoming fall season. So here's the interesting thing. I honestly didn't think about this until two seconds ago, but I, I, I understand that the big 10, they probably aren't trying to, push for a season around Thanksgiving because of recruits necessarily. Right. I know that the big reason is just because they're getting a lot of pushback. A lot of the players, you know, J Justin Field started that petition. So the players want to play and the parents of the players want to play because they argue that it's safer for these kids to be there. However, I just thought about this right now. And I want to ask you, what, what kind of impact do you think this could have on recruits if the Big Ten is able to play three months earlier in th around Thanksgiving. Do you think that that could have any impact? Or really, listen, either we're starting in September and August, and that's where I'm going to make my decision. Or if you start any time later, that's not going to impact my decision at all. What, what say you on the matter? That's a really good question, actually, Jonah. Um, I think that with something like this, it depends on the recruit in the school, right? If I'm going, If I'm a big-name recruit and I'm going to Boise State, I'm probably going to look at other programs, but if I'm a big name recruit going to Alabama or, or let's use a Pac-12 school because that's more for it, and I'm going to Oregon, I'm probably going to be more inclined to stay. I think it's situational. And I also think it matters what matters more to the recruit, right? Football is a passion, but there are priorities that are different for everybody. If your priority is your family and your health and safety, you're probably not going to play and you don't really care, right? We see We see players opting out. It doesn't matter where you are or what conference you're in. We're seeing plenty of players opting out of playing this fall or this upcoming spring because it's in the best interest of their health and safety or they want to prepare for the draft, which also is because they have their best health and safety in mind and that helps their draft prospects. So I think that if a recruit's priority is I want to get on that football field, I want to compete for my position, make an impact and get to the next level, it will have absolutely no impact whatsoever. But if it is a matter of, okay, well, is my health and safety being compromised? Now, remember, the, the narratives that we hear are from the people that we want to hear it from, right? We're hearing Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields talking about how they want to play, yet P.J. Fleck is coming out and saying that he's talked to the entire University of Minnesota football team, and they all agree with the decision, right? And then Nebraska has a, a coach, an athletic director, and eight football players suing the Big Ten, and then you have, like, fourth-string offensive linemen who are saying, we're cool, I don't know why, what the big deal is. We're only really hearing it from the perspective of the stars. And that's the problem. There's a whole narrative out there that we're not getting that again, PJ Fleck came out and said, our team thinks that the big 10 made the right decision, but that headline got buried because Justin Fields is the bigger name and arguably the second quarterback taken off the board in this upcoming draft. So we have to understand where that information is coming from. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't support one way or the other? No, you have to, we want players to play, but we want it in a safe and secure environment. We don't, don't want anybody to be compromised. Now, with that being said, football is a regional sport. Pac-12 is a little bit more 
conservative in the way that it's it's going about its actions and that's kind of a weird word for me to use then the sec right the sec is like okay we're going to try this thing if it works great if it doesn't we'll figure it out the pac-12 is like no we're not going to try this thing it is a bad idea we're going to push the spring there's no other and the, the coaches all and athletic directors all were in support of that right you did not hear one peep from uh, a player, a big name player, Panea Sewell, who probably be the first Pac-12 player taken off the board in next year's draft, the offensive tackle from Oregon. Everybody that, at LSU was like, "Oh, he's going to transfer." No, he's not going to transfer. He doesn't care. He's already he's he's secured in his positioning, right? So, the narratives that we hear are from the top. There are plenty of players that are. I'm not saying content, but we saw an entire conference where the athletic directors and the coaches voted no, right? So, it, it's based on the region. It's based on your personal bias as a fan and where you're. Uh, where your future aspirations lie as a player. And do you see any long-term ramifications either for the recruiting classes, the, the future recruiting classes for schools in the Pac-12 and in the Big Ten? Or do you think this might just be, uh, obviously the ramifications in terms of, okay, maybe there's a five-star player. So for sure. this particular season, they're not gonna, they're not going to attend our university. But do you see any long-term ramifications just in terms of recruiting classes in the future for schools in the Pac-12 or the Big Ten Conference? Absolutely. I think that this is going to... Well, look, I think that question remains to be answered. I really do, because we don't know. Um, and, and the big point I make on my show is that nobody knows. And we get stuck in these narratives because we surround ourselves with confirmation bias to make us feel validated in the way that we want things to go, right? If you don't want these players to play, you're going to go out and you're going to find media members and personalities and stories and narratives that support how you want that to go. If you want these players to play, it's the same deal. If you want to take an eclectic view, you're going to do your best to, to, to pull yourself out of that bias to see the entire field. And that's what I do because I, that's what the show is about, right? I'm not there to tell them what I want to see. I'm there to give you the full story so you can make an informed decision yourself. So anybody who says, oh, we know what's going to happen is full of you know what, and I'm not going to say it here. They just truly are because nobody knows. We're seeing things change day by day. So to be honest with you, Jonah, I don't know. Now, what I think is that, yes, there are going to be residual consequences uh, by the situation. We're going to see we're going to see schools in the Conference USA that are playing this fall that may end up getting big names because they're an attractive location. Now, we may see University of Louisiana Lafayette. We may see Georgia Southern get a four or five star because that is a situation that has cultivated, uh, you know, a, a player safety net that now these recruits want to go to. We are going to see a shift in how this goes. What I also think we're going to see is that we're going to see a realignment. I'm not in conferences, but I think that this is going to lead to a conversation about what does the NCAA as an umbrella organization really mean and what does it really do and what we've learned is that through this process nothing because there was no consistency in the decisions made by each conference right if there were we would see a unified decision made by the ncaa and the conferences would have no choice but to abide by and that's that right that's your purpose as the umbrella organization but instead they left it up to the conferences every conference sort of was like, okay, we'll see what they do. Oh, they're doing this. We don't want to do that. What's the PR crisis here? How are the players? Like, you can't do that. There's no sense of unity as a, as an entire conglomerate of, of college football. So what I think we're really going to see is we're going to see Power 5 restructure. I think we're going to see the Power 5 break away and be its own entity. And I think we're going to see the Group of 5 break away and be its own entity. How that affects recruiting, 
that remains to be seen. Because remember, recruiting is partially what you hear and you see, and it's partially what's going on behind closed doors and under the table. And we just won't ever know. Like, yeah, we know Zion Williamson got it like tens of thousands of dollars, and they give they we saw the bank note that was fifty five hundred dollars a month for a house when he was barely living in a in a project before he came to Duke, right? Like, we know that things happen. We see it happen. We see the NCAA protecting its most prized entities in in, in each sport, which is why. All of a sudden, Will Wade at LSU is once again being put on the chopping blocks for paying recruits when Andy Enfield, Dana Altman, uh, Coach K, and Bill Self were all named in court. And the, all those coaches got protected by the NCAA because they bring they drive revenue for the overarching umbrella organization. So I think what what will end up happening more uh, is, is a Power 5 restructuring and how that reflects, affects recruiting uh, remains to be seen. So... I actually did some research and you're going to be pleasantly surprised to hear that I did some research and I, I took some time. Uh, you're to look a, up. You are a well-spoken human being, Jonah. I am not surprised that you put in your research. Well, I appreciate you putting on this facade for everyone. I, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the support on, on air for me. I definitely tried, but it's nice to acknowledge it All for right, you. Jonah, for you're sure. fired. I take back everything. Get <laughs> out of here. I'm, on, I'm taking it over. No, I'm kidding. So, so it was interesting. I looked up the top 50 players out of California for the recruits, for football recruits. 37 of those 50 players have already committed to a school already. Out of those 37, only 13 have committed to either USC or UCLA. 10 to USC, 3 for UCLA. Now, we both grew up in Los Angeles our entire lives. Now, I don't know if USC or UCLA was your hometown school but i know for me ucla was USC was for me okay so so we grew up in the pete carroll era they had no problem you know securing prime recruits and the elite recruits in southern california even even keith brown in oregon oregon able to secure their number one inside linebacker recruit a four-star they've got him what is it about either clay helton or chip kelly or the programs at USC and UCLA that are just not attractive right now? Are they just not, is it the coaching that is not really compelling yep. for the players? Or do you think sure. it's the organizations and the programs that just quite frankly, aren't run very well right now? USC is uncertainty in coaching. UCLA is infrastructure. Um, and that, that's a great question, Jonah. Everybody says, why is, why is Chip Kelly not recruiting? Why are they getting a four-star quarterback? And Parker McQuarrie from New Hampshire, right? And I went on a whole rant yesterday about recruiting websites and how they rate players and are these really four and five stars and how is there a Florida offensive tackle who's a three-star who didn't play a game this season, by the way, and then in the newest recruiting rankings is a top 50 player after he commits to Alabama. He wasn't even in the top 250. And then when he commits to Alabama, he gets bumped up to a four-star. So program bias. Uh, by the way, like I said, Park McQuarrie is a quarterback from New Hampshire. You really think the competition in New Hampshire is like what it is in Southern California? You put that guy in Southern California, he's not a four-star. Now, yes, they look at stats from the Elite 11, the Polynesian Bowl, the Senior Bowl. But none of that really matters when you're on the football field, right? It's about execution. And it's about competition. In Southern California, you have the hot, hottest recruiting bed for football in the nation. Yeah, Texas has fun entertainment. You're not finding it near the consistency of top talent that you find in Southern California. That's just how it is. Go find the stats back that fact up. Florida is the same way. The East coast, you could, you could combine 
to Math and Gonzaga with IMG, and you're not going to get, you're not even get close, not even close to what the Trinity League produces, right? That's just how it is, the nature of the state. Now, with that being said, schools have been receptive to that, and they're targeting Southern California. There's been a lot of uncertainty at USC since Lane Kiffin, right? Steve Sarkeesian, everybody wanted Cocho. Cocho not being retained by USC was viewed as a big mistake, and it was a big mistake, as we hindsight has proven. And it did turn a lot of people away from the program because, long, uh, because uh, what's his name? Lon Swan, what the previous athletic director. Lynn, Lynn Swan. Lynn, Lynn Swan. Swan, thank you. Yep. Former athletic director at USC because Lynn Swan was, didn't really look like he knew what he was doing. People were not comfortable in that program. And then all of a sudden, Sarkeesian came, and that was a dumpster fire. And then we saw what Clay Helton come in. For the last three years, Clay Helton has been, oh, is he going to be fired? Is he not going to be fired? Everybody last year said he was going to be fired, including me, by the way, in October, and that Urban Meyer was going to be hired. Right? There's a lot of uncertainty. Recruits don't want uncertainty. They want consistency. Guess who's been consistent and who's recruiting very well in Southern California? Oregon, Washington, and US and, and Arizona State, because they have built cultures where these players have trusted and they have proven through execution that you want to go play at those programs. You want to go be part of Mario Cristobal's culture and be part of the Marcus Mariota complex, $250 million renovation done at Oregon. You want to be part of the new Jimmy Lake era, the Jonathan, uh, the Jonathan Smith era at Oregon State, the Herm Edwards player coach era at ASU. You want to be a part of those cultures, right? They're dumping money into these programs to make them better. USC is full of uncertainty. Now, UCLA is a completely different story. UCLA is, is it, I think UCLA is a turnoff for recruits, truthfully, because they of the academics. I know Stanford recruits pretty well. Now, by the way, Stanford for the first time in the last four seasons is not made in the top 50 nationally in recruiting for next year, but UCLA has more of an academic feel to it. And I think that because they don't really invest in the infrastructure of their football facilities, they were banking on the idea, Jonah, and you can disagree with me on this if you want, because you know, you come from a, a UCLA a background, I will say. Like, I don't. I come from a USC background. I went to Oregon. I cover the Pac-12, and I do my best to take my bias out of it. But that's the observations I've made. Now, Chip Kelly is a great recruiter. We saw what he did at Oregon. He was a great offensive innovator. But it doesn't translate now because the offense that he innovated is now being used by everybody. It's, just, it's the Sean McVay complex, right? The reason that Sean McVay hasn't been the same Sean McVay that we've seen the first three years that he was with the Rams is because what he was doing, everybody figured it out and started doing it themselves. The West Coast offense was invented by Chip Kelly, and now it is the prototypical offense in the Pac-12. Now it's not new. Now it's not fresh. Everybody knows how to beat it or how to institute it, and they know what they need to do it. So it's a lot harder to be able to recruit for something specific when everybody now is doing it and winning at it. UCLA hasn't been a winning program in the last four or five seasons. They haven't beaten the U USC, right? You want That was a pitch. Come beat USC. Why is UNC recruiting so well, Jonah, in, in North Carolina in the ACC? Why do they have the late 11th ranked recruiting class for football in the class of 2021? Because they have a chance at taking down Clemson. And that is a narrative that these recruits want. You want to take down the perennial powerhouse. You want to be a part of that culture. USC is not a perennial powerhouse, but they're the perennial in L.A., and right now, there's no incentive to take them down. So I think UCLA, unfortunately, from a culture standpoint, is, has turned recruits away. Because it's interesting because to me, the operative word is culture, right? And I think that if you looked at a program like UCLA, say 15 years ago, the culture wasn't there. To me, I thought when Jim Mora came in, 
that there was a culture shift. He took all these players, I believe, to either San Bernardino for the equivalent of a hell week during training camp to try and toughen them up. And I truly believe that that culture change is what led to the acquisitions of recruits like Brett Hundley, like Josh Rosen, some of these perhaps who we thought would be transformational players for these programs. But it didn't happen. And it's just interesting because you see all these players. And again, Corey Foreman is another example. And, and I'll ask you about him as well, because if not for the pandemic, and I, and I hate to have to say this because it's an awful thing, the pandemic, it's hit people in a terrible way. If, if there's one silver lining of, of COVID right now, it's that perhaps it's increasing the likelihood that hometown kids are going to go play for their hometown college because Corey uh, Foreman was projected. He, he was committed to play at Clemson. Now he's decommitted. There's a likelihood he's going to play for USC, although it's not final. But again, I don't even think a, a school like USC would be in this position if it weren't for the pandemic. Otherwise, it seemed like inevitable that Foreman was going to Clemson. So since I brought him up, let me ask you, I know this has been a topic that has been very fluid, very evolving all the time. It almost seems like every other day, we're not entirely sure what he's going to do. Give us your thoughts on, on where you think he's going to go next year. I think he goes to USC. I know everybody's saying that, look, going 24-7, you have Steve Wiltfong talking about how he's going to go back to Clemson. Um, I, I I have sources in Clemson. Let's just put it that way. Um, they, they're very interested in, in Corey Foreman still, right? There's no animosity with him decommitting because you want to do your due diligence as a recruit. You want to make sure that you're spending the next at least three years of your life in a situation that you're happy in, right? And you want to make sure that you feel, you you understand the field, right? Corey Foreman's dream may have not been to go to Clemson, right? He may have wanted to go to USC, but he, maybe he loved Clemson, Clemson, but he wants to see what other offers were out there, and he felt like he may have jumped the gun a little bit. That's perfectly okay, and Clemson has been very understanding of that. I think he's going to USC. I just do. I think that USC got absolutely... How do I put this? USC has not been recruiting well defensive line-wise for the last few years, right? Kayvon Thibodeau, they were in the final three for Kayvon Thibodeau. It ended up being between Alabama and Oregon. He chose Oregon much. The, actually, he actually chose Alabama, decommitted and flipped to Oregon, much to the shock of everybody. They lost out on Clark Phillips III. He was in the running uh, to go to USC, eventually committed to Ohio State, decommitted and went to Utah. Um, USC's had a tough time to, to recruiting defensively. Now, they have a kid from Alamany High School in Mission Hills, uh, a defensive lineman who is, or middle linebacker, excuse me, uh, and I, it's I, it's like Talamuto or something. I don't want to butcher his last name, um, but he is committed to USC. So that is a four-star uh, middle linebacker. And I think if you can find a way now, again, you don't want to just go to a team because you want to go to a team. You want to go to a team that wins and you want to look at the other pieces. If USC is getting a four-star linebacker, if I'm five-star defensive tackle, that's a pretty attractive place for me to go because now I'm part of a front seven that is going to anchor what will, could be one of the best defenses in the country, right? So situational awareness is really important. I think USC has a couple of pieces coming in on their defensive side in the front seven that would attract Corey Foreman to want to play there. And so for those reasons, and because, again, like you said, one of the silver linings, the few silver linings of coronaviruses that players want to be closer to home, uh, I think coupled with that fact Corey Foreman is probably leaning towards USC. Now, my position and attitude on high school football players playing has, has been the same since day one. I'm, a, I'm of the belief that if you're 
an elite high school football player, I don't see the added value in playing. That's personally for me, because to me, I'm not exactly sure. Obviously, a guy like Jake Garcia, okay, he wanted more reps. But to me, I don't see that necessarily as the most advantageous or or a prudent reason to to play. Because for me, I care about these high school athletes, and I, I haven't seen enough safety measures in place that they can ensure the safeties of these kids. You're seeing problems at the professional levels, at the college levels, even if now the players feel differently about it. For me, I need to see more from these state advisory and health boards about high school kids that would that would suggest that they're going to be okay. Because right now, I just don't see the added value if you're an elite player. I understand certain situations where maybe if you're a player that is a three-star or unstarred and you have only secured a couple scholarships, maybe your senior season or your junior season would have been that opportunity to showcase more of your skill set and buffer up your your standing. But if you're a guy like Miller Moss, for example, at Modern Day, I understand the program, and I had Bruce Rowlandson on to talk about Modern Day, and he says the players all want to play. But it's not like if you're hoping, hey, I'm hoping that if I play another season, I'm going to start over Keaton Slovis. That's not going to happen at USC, regardless. I think that the same thing would have happened for DJ Ugalele if if the clocks were turned back a season. He wasn't going to play over Trevor Lawrence, even if he led St. John Bosco to another essentially national title. Where do you lie on the spectrum as far as play versus not play? Because to me, I've always been on the side of I don't think it's safe for the kids to play. I want to respond to your, so I, I, here's my thing. Um, I think that if there's a way to get it done, go and try it. Right. Like if you know, if you think you're not putting your players in a compromising situation, I'm, I'm in no position because I don't know if it's not going to work. Right. Like I'm a risk taker. I know I am. Um, and I know that about myself, but I also know that health and safety is very important. If you're a player and you feel like your health and safety is compromised, I'm, I'm supportive of you not playing. If you're a player that you feel like you can, you know, you can get through this thing and and perform at the highest level and, you know, you seek fulfillment through that, I support you. So um, to be honest with you, it just it just depends. I'm it, it depends on how things are evaluated. How why are they not playing? That's that's the biggest thing. Um, but to answer your question, Jonah, about, you know, what's what's the point? Right. If you're an elite player, the point is, is that they want to win. Right? Why does why would Justin Fields? Justin Fields has nothing left to prove. Justin Fields will likely be the second quarterback taken. You could take him and Trevor Lawrence and Blake Rafino loves to use this metaphor. Uh, you could you could you could get you could get Tesla to build them a rocket to send them to Mars for the year. They could do nothing, and they would still be probably the first two quarterbacks taken. They don't have anything to prove. Now they don't have anything left to prove to you. They don't have anything left to prove to the scouts or the teams that are going to draft them. They want to win a ring, man. Justin Fields doesn't have a ring. He doesn't have a championship. He doesn't have a, right? He wants to go out and he wants to get a Big Ten championship. He wants to get a national championship. These are contending teams. Trevor Lawrence wants a championship. He wants another ACC ring under his belt. He wants another trophy. He wants another offensive player of the year. These are accolades that are really meaningful to these players at the high school level. It's so freaking hard, man, especially in Southern California to win a championship, right? There are 700 schools in the Southern section. There's 12, there's 14 divisions of football. It is so, it's basically impossible, right? Unless you're going to modern day 
or you're going to like, you know, some off-brand school who just is dominant in the lower division, odds are you're not winning a championship. And if you're elite, you want to win a championship. That's why they want to play, Jonah. It's not for stock. It's because they want to go out and they want to win. And, and at the end of the day, that is something to prove. It's, you, you may not think about it. It's like, okay, cool. You won a high school championship. But to them, that's a big deal, right? You, you played high school sports. You won a basketball championship. You're on top of the world. You prove something to yourself because you did. Not, I'm not going to lie. Look, like 0.00001% of the high school athletes will actually make it to the Division One level. But there's still hundreds of thousands of athletes that do. So when, you, when you're part of that community, it feels really big. But how many of those athletes actually win championships, right? And that's what these that's what these guys want. They want to go out and they want it. That's what they have to prove to themselves. So again, I I overall I think that under normal circumstances, I would agree with that opinion completely. And you play for the love of the game. You play for the enjoyment and the jubilation that it that it brings to you. And I and I love all the points that you made. And I think they're entirely valid. To me, it's it's the the wrench in the argument for me is the COVID. Of course. Is the well, COVID piece. But but that's because my I, point. Right. No, I'm just I'm just saying, I'm just saying for me, under under any other season, if COVID wasn't wasn't a concern and it was just okay, if you're in Southern California and your season gets postponed to the spring and you're worried about playing a senior season because you may injure yourself and it might not get you ready for the fall of, of college football. I, I would always advocate. No, we to don't play. have those. I'm we don't have those convers. We don't have those conversations if COVID wasn't happening. We this this conversation would not be happening if COVID wasn't happening, right? Like, well, well right. Perspective, exactly. We're only thinking about it because of the situation. Like I said, like, I that's why they want to play through COVID, right? Because this is their last shot at winning something. That's and now again, I'm I'm in support of you playing if you feel like you're comfortable. It's not my position to say I'm for or against you, right? If you could convince me that you could go play in a health and safe way, I'm for it. If you feel like you're compromised and you don't want to play, I'm for it, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about the athletes, and I support the athletes in the endeavors that they feel fulfillment and to be successful through, right? So that's why I take this position. It's not because, look, to, if you want my honest opinion, if I was an athlete, I would not play. I personally would not play because I would be worried. Like, I, I have asthma, like, whatever. Like, I, I, my health and safety is first and foremost, and no matter what, until players of people are vaccinated or they find a bubble, I would not play no matter what. But there are athletes out there that feel differently, and that's okay. And I support that if they feel safe enough to go out and play. So that that's my take on sort of the, the health and safety side of it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Final two quick questions, and I'll let you go. I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot of stuff to do. Uh, who are some key recruits that, assuming a season is played for high school football this year, now, maybe it's in a state that they've already pressed the green light to allow them to play, or maybe it's in California or another state that has postponed for right now, postponed a season to the spring. We'll see if a, if a season even takes place. Who are some recruits that you are perhaps interested in seeing play this year? Oh, that's a, that's a, you're putting me on the spot. There's a lot of them, man. There's a lot, you know, Tennessee. There are. Tennessee has three four-star receivers coming to them next year, and I want to see all three of them play. Um, yeah, next but, year next year is going to be Tennessee's year for sure. So I want to see – that's such a good question. Wow. I am putting okay. you right so, on the spot. There are a lot of different directions you can go I on. I want to see Jack Sawyer play because I don't think Jack Sawyer, the defensive end that's currently committed to Ohio State, is going to stay committed to Ohio State. I think that he's going to – I think he's going to – if the Big Ten doesn't happen, I think Jack Sawyer decommits. You heard it here, folks. I, th Whoa. I said this on my show. I think Jack Sawyer decommits. 
from Ohio State if he's able to play this season and Ohio State does not, and he goes, I think he goes to the SEC, man. Um, I want to see how that, but it only happens if he plays. I, I want to see his process. Uh, Demarius Mims, who's everybody's saying he's going to Georgia. Uh, there's a pretty good shot, folks, uh, that Florida actually scoops him up because Florida has just solidified what is now the top defensive uh, overall recruiting base for the next two seasons. And if I'm a tackle, I know I'm an, I'm an outside tackle. I want to be part of that. So I know that Georgia sounds like they have a caught train Georgia commit locked in. I want to see him play because, again, I think Florida's knocking at his door. And the other one is Emeka Okabuka. Um, I love skill position players. I know we're all, and I'll, and I'll go out of the top 10 if you want me to, but I think Okabuka is interesting. He's from Washington. Uh, there's, there's like a 10% chance they're saying of him going to anywhere but Ohio State. Whether he goes to Ohio State, again, depends on if he plays this season in Washington, which right now they postponed to January, and what happens in the Big Ten. And if Washington high school football happens and Big Ten football doesn't happen, there's a chance that Ubuka goes somewhere else. And that, again, will depend on the offers that he, as a five-star receiver, he can go anywhere he wants. But teams are going to pursue you if you're actively playing, and that's going to change the direction of where you're looking as a recruit. So I'm very curious to see where he goes. And Tristan Lee is another one, an outside tackle from Fairfax, Virginia. He's currently LSU and Clemson are his top two schools. Uh, but Virginia Tech's in the mix, folks, let me tell you. And these, uh, how he plays this season, and again, out, these scouts come to your games without you being able to come to or you, you being able to play. How are you going to be pursued? And you want to go to a school that you feel like you're wanted to the most. So if I'm playing and Ohio State is currently just incognito and I want to go to Ohio State, but all of a sudden here comes LSU. They're playing in the fall. They're kicking ass in the SEC. Well, I'm probably, and they, they make me feel like I'm wanted. Odds are I'm probably going to consider LSU, right? So uh, Tristan Lee's going to be put in that situation as an outside tackle in Virginia. They're going to be starting, I think, in the next few weeks. Um, so he's someone I'm fascinated to watch uh, on the football field this year. And final question before I let you go. During this quarantine, what's been your binge food Ooh. that you've been eating? Your guilty pleasure food that My you've been eating the most pleasure. during this quarantine? I've wanted to change up the questions. I've asked different people different questions. I want to know your food guilty pleasure during this quarantine. Oh, it's tough. Now that I'm in San Diego, I'm eating burritos like no other. Um, you know what I've really enjoyed? Just because we're sitting like quarantine, like you're inside. And, like, you know, we do our best to get the nice vibe. Like we're in a relaxed place in San Diego. My roommate is a prodigy at piano. So he'll pull, he'll serenade me with some tunes at night. And we're just relaxing and vibing. I love to have a nice, hot, previously frozen Marie Callender's chicken pot pie. I'm not going to lie. I have about, there. Are, Joe and I see you're smiling. There are about, there are about $2 at Vons. I get 12 of them and then I have them for the entire next two weeks. They, they take, you pop them in the free, the fridge or the microwave. It's five minutes. You poke a little hole in it. You see the steam come out and just get that waft of, uh, of Marie Callender's chicken pot pie. And it's just a homey smell, man. There's nothing homier than mama's home-cooked chicken. And that's the feeling, the warm feeling that I get from Marie Callender's chicken pot pie. I got to say, I, I knew that you could go in, in, a, in a myriad of directions with this. I, <laughs> By the I way, could Joe, not Blake, have guessed. Blake Rafino is watching the show, and he, he's, he's laughing at that chicken one. Chicken pot it's not even a fresh chicken pot pie. You're talking about a, a frozen Maria kitchen. Now, don't it, get me wrong. It, I like Maria, but like 
go with Annie's mac and cheese or like the Trader Joe's shell pasta I, mac I and get, cheese. That's, I that's get the one you go I get, with. I get mac and cheese, but I rather prefer the chicken pot pie. I like the home. We're at quarantine, man. Okay. We need the homey feeling here. I want okay. to feel like a mac and cheese is like, um, it feels a little industrial. Like I'm going to go to a chain restaurant. I'm going to get mac and cheese. You're not getting a chicken pot yeah, pie in a chain restaurant, sure. right? You want the mom and pop feeling. You want the homeliness. You want the personable smell of that chicken wafting through your nostrils as well, you contemplate yeah. the next movie you're going to watch in your 15th year in quarantine. Well, there's nothing that says family home field like like frozen chicken pot pie. So there you heard <laughs> Yours, it first. What's your, what's your quarantine <laughs> food, Jonah? This Hey, this is my show. I don't have to answer that. Yes, you do. Right, but you do. okay, but I you will have an say, obligation to your viewers for them to know is, what your quarantine food is. It is the Trader Joe's Pizza Quattro Formaggio. From Trader Joe's, the frozen guess what? pizza. That was a frozen pizza. So it I'm is, getting, but it's I'm acceptable. getting roasted for not fresh for a chicken, chicken pot pie. pie. Meanwhile, you're eating frozen pizza. Go, go get a real pizza. Go to Z Pizza, that? man. They they have wood fire oven pizzas, and you're telling me frozen pizza. This guy, Jonathan Rifkin. All right, Johnny, where 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 can we catch you, man? I know you're on like four different shows, yeah, like I'm every day a week. Where where can we yeah, find yeah. you? Well, in about seven minutes, I'll be uh, back here on Twitch on Chris Landry. I'll be on Facebook Live and simulcast on Periscope on Are You Serious uh, with Blake Rufino and the famous Doobie Lane. So I'll be there in about seven minutes. I'm gonna hop from this show over there. But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you can catch me on the Pack Wrap at 11 o'clock here a.m. on the Pacific Coast um, and on. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your comment, Jonah, trying to call me out on stream. It is ridiculous, but I embrace that ridiculousness and I take it in full stride. Um, you can find me uh, 11 to 1 between the pack rap and just recruiting Pacific time on Landry football. And are you serious sports? I'm also all over the place, man. Catch us on the podcast. Um, I have a feeling that Jonah and I are going to be resurrecting something uh, sooner rather than later too. So make sure you stay tuned for that one, folks. Jonah, always a pleasure to be on your show, man. I hope, uh, I hope one day you'll accept me for my, 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 uh, my culinary choices through quarantine. I, I hope so too. Always, always a pleasure, Johnny. Thank you so much for joining me. I man. appreciate Take it. We'll talk soon. Take care. That was Jonathan Rifkin. So happy to have him on, as you can see, always entertaining with him. And by the way, quick, uh, quick score updates. I can't believe I'm actually able to say this. This is the first time in months that we've been able to provide you some score updates from high school football season taking place. So out of the state of Utah, there were a couple big matchups across the country featuring top 100 teams last week. Corner Canyon, number 14 in the nation. They've now extended their winning streak to 28 straight games dating back to over two seasons ago. Eric Kiar in his fourth season as the head coach has done a tremendous job. Uh, they won 56 to nothing last week. This is just incredible. Jackson Dart, the quarterback, hasn't been highly touted, not highly recruited. 14 of 21, 456 yards through the air, four touchdowns, no interceptions for the senior quarterback. So congrats to them. They have finished as the number one team in Utah the last two seasons. So they won. The state of Alabama got things kicked off. Hoover, the number one team in Alabama, the Buccaneers, they beat Central 45 to 35. And then the number 43 team in the nation, Hewitt Trustville beat Pinson Valley 44 to 19. Both Hoover and Hewitt Trustville are in the same league. So they are scheduled to play against each other October 2nd. So that is the scores updates for you. And now my the, the final segment of the day. This is my favorite part of the show. 
my flagship segment, Malkin's Moments, my favorite moments from across the week. And there are, again, a lot of different directions that you can go with this. I'm going to focus on a game that took place last Sunday in the NBA, the first round of the playoffs. Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks beat the Los Angeles Clippers 135 to 133 in overtime. Doncic went for 43 points, 17 rebounds, and 13 assists in the win. Hit the step back three point game winning shot at the buzzer over Reggie Jackson to tie the series up at two games apiece. What, what 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 more do you want from this kid? He's 21 years old, and he's putting up these eye-popping numbers, literally leaving everyone with incredulous looks all day long because you just are amazed by this guy's skill set. Obviously, they lost game five, and it looks like Kristaps Porzingis is not going to play game six. But needless to say, impressive performance nonetheless by Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. He was spectacular. So. Once again, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Please help spread the word as you can catch the Chris Landry Twitch channel at www.twitch.tv slash Football, And you can listen to this podcast on your mobile device by signing up for Landry Football's conference call wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also catch this show on www.landryfootball.com where all this information is there for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Jonah Malkin. And as always, happy Friday, everyone.